Yeah, I'm feeling a lot of hope lately, in part because we completely expect and we will see changes to how many of us have COVID because of vaccination. The numbers of COVID cases in First Nations communities has been going down and down and down. We're doing a really good job, I guess, of protecting our families and communities. That's Dr. Evan Adams, Deputy Chief Medical Officer at Indigenous Services Canada, and a proud member of the Tlaman First Nation in British Columbia. He's our guest on the Akamema podcast. Danse, tawao, and welcome to the Akamema podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is a Plains Cree word for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. And today, the leading issue is, of course, COVID-19. And to answer questions on the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, the new guidelines for the AstraZeneca vaccine, and how to manage the third wave of the pandemic, we are joined by Dr. Evan Adams. He is a medical doctor and a Deputy Chief Medical Officer at Indigenous Services Canada. So, Dr. Adams, welcome back to the Akamema Podcast. Uh, just good. How are you, National Chief? So nice to be here. Thanks for coming back again. And uh, everybody's starting to talk about the, the first wave, second wave, now the third wave. But let's start with vaccinations and vaccines. And where do First Nations stand in terms of how many have gotten the vaccine at this point in time in Canada? Ah, I was um, just reading an announcement this morning about how the First Nations Health Authority is finishing up um, vaccinating um, First Nations adults in the province of BC. Um, I I, uh, I don't think everyone's been reached because um, I think some of the adults haven't been available, uh, but the vaccine's been available for them. And it does vary from province to province um, how First Nations Inuit and Métis have been uh, prioritized. Um, but generally, I would say that um, our rate of vaccination is about four times higher than that of other Canadians. So I would say it's going well. But I'm, I think for some communities, because there are a few, um, like of the 630 First Nations communities, there are um, under 100 that haven't started vaccination. So for them, I'm sure that they must be um, getting a bit anxious about starting. Mm-hmm. And, and that, again, is the National Advisory Council uh, clearly indicated that First Nations people are part of the most vulnerable uh, when it comes to COVID-19. And so there was a, a big focus and a prioritization. So that's good news to hear that the, the four times uh, more than the, the average Canadian, but, but it's due to basically all the health conditions, the overcrowded housing and lack of access to potable water. So so that's uh, so there's movement there. And access to health care, because um, some of our communities, they don't have access to health care, like if they got infected um, in the same way as other people's. Um, and that lack of access is not just geographic, right? It's partly um, partly it's social. I mean, let's, let's um, not be naive. Um, racism does exist. And so some of our people have had bad experiences. And so they don't necessarily trust um, that the system is going to help them uh, if they need it. And, and, and also, um, uh, current, yeah, like you said, current living conditions and their previous health. And there, there are probably some other risks, like, you know, some of us are poorer, so we have to go out and uh, work and we encounter more people. Like if you're wealthier, you can afford to stay home and, and to self isolate and be safer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's lots of reasons why we, we made, uh, Indigenous peoples a priority for vaccination. So now in Canada, uh, there's 
four types that people talk about of the vaccines, right? You have Pfizer, you have uh, Moderna, now AstraZeneca, and then Johnson & Johnson, the four, like the, the two ones that are accessible, Pfizer, Moderna, and now AstraZeneca is coming in. And now there's some new guidelines regarding the AstraZeneca vaccine because there's a dialogue and a discussion taking place across Canada that AstraZeneca is no longer going to be administered to people under 55 years old. Can you say what's the rationale behind that? What are some of the risks? Because uh, we also want to be clear about the necessity to get the vaccine that will help save lives. But now regarding AstraZeneca, there's some issues, concerns. Can you speak a little bit about that for our listeners? Sure. In in Europe, where AstraZeneca was being used, and there have been hundreds of millions of vaccinations uh, administered there, um, there were about 25 cases uh, post-vaccination where there was a significant um, health event, uh, blood clots um, in, in about 25 people. And so uh, Europe decided to pause and see um, what that risk was uh, for us in Canada, we decided to follow suit. We've, we've not had any blood clots post-AstraZeneca vaccination. It seems to be in that small group that have had blood clots uh, that they were younger. And so for us here, we decided, well, if it's in younger groups, then uh, there's a slightly increased risk, then let's give AstraZeneca just to older groups. Now, it's really important to, um, to know that this... Um, Reaction is really rare, and we're trying to investigate it. It's only like a, a slight increase in because people get blood clots without vaccination, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but we have to see how it might be related. Um, so there are some like some theories about how because people who have blood clots are usually prone to them, and we try and investigate why they might be prone to it. Maybe it has something to do with an antibody response. Maybe it's a familial inheritance, like part of their mm-hmm. genetics, um, or some other reason, like with um, young women, sometimes it's related to their hormonal levels. So we just need to go and look at that. And so we're being extra cautious, being extra safe, uh, and trying to protect people from this very rare um, vaccine injury. Okay. Now, has AstraZeneca been administered to any First Nations in Canada right now at this point in time? We've been asking provinces um, if they have record of any First Nations people having received it. Um, As far as I know, it hasn't gone to any communities. But our ability to track our um, urban cousins is less strong. And that's where AstraZeneca Mm -hmm. has been um, largely available, is in more urban centers. So we started, most of us got Moderna. Then some of us got um, access to Pfizer and then uh, AstraZeneca doesn't seem to have been sent out to communities, but indigenous individuals may have had AstraZeneca in the cities. Now, that's a good segue for, for myself. Like, um, of course, I'm a member from Little Black Bear First Nations and Treaty 4 Territory, Southern Saskatchewan. But as National Chief, you got to live around Ottawa Territory. So I'm in the Algonquin Territory uh, here in Ottawa and I've been vaccinated. You know, and uh, I've access to the Pfizer for the first dose, and the second one will be coming shortly. So I'm scheduled for my my second dose of the vaccine, and and it's and that's the message we want to get out to people is that more and more First Nations leaders are demonstrating. Um, you know, it's like the public service announcement that if you have access to a vaccine, you should get it because of the science behind it. But there are still some First Nations people who are leery about taking it. What's your message as a doctor to First Nations people? What do we need to know about making the decision to get the vaccination so we can get that dialogue going and hopefully dispel some myths? 
Yeah, I'm hearing that there are some of us who are、um, hesitating about the the vaccine. They're saying,、uh, "I'll I'll wait and I'll see、um, how people do." So,、um, but the first thing I would like to know when I speak to people is like, "What's what's the main concern for you?" Because people have very very different concerns. Someone might have something. Um, um, really, that's just frankly not true. Like,、uh, oh, you're putting tracking chips in our arms、uh, when you do the vaccine. I say, well, actually, that's completely false. That's completely、uh, misinformation. Others may say something like, I hear that you、um, get sick when you、um, get the vaccine, and I have to say, well, wh- what did you hear? And then people will say, oh, I hear it makes you feel under the weather, like tired, and and I have to say, yeah, but that's to be expected. Your body is. You know, your body is responding to the vaccine. It's gearing up and learning to fight the virus should you encounter it. And others have different sorts of concerns. I I did meet a an elder、um, recently, and her son had ha- already had COVID, and so she she didn't know if he could get the vaccine after he had already had COVID, and she didn't know if she should get the vaccine and him not get the vaccine. So instead of kind of talking to him about what are we going to do together,、uh, she just thought, oh, it's just. Easier not to have that conversation and just wait until it becomes clearer what what we should do together. So that kind of confusion we should just be able to talk about. And then others have you know very simple questions like, oh, I have a chronic disease.、Um, am I strong enough to to get the vaccine?、Mm-hmm. Should I get the vaccine? And and of course, often in those, I get lots of those questions.、Um, because you have a chronic disease, you should be vaccinated. Because、uh, you don't want to have a complication should you get a kind of a, a, a wild type infection. It's definitely safer to get the vaccine than it is to get COVID itself. Yeah, that's the message. And、uh, to all the listeners out there, like get vaccinated if it's available. Take advantage and、uh, get that into your arm. It, it's it's better to to be vaccinated than not be vaccinated because it's better to be vaccinated rather than to catch the full onslaught of COVID nineteen.、Um, So that's we got to. I want to keep reemphasizing、yes. that, you know, all over and over and over, and、uh, and then there's this myth that, and this is the next dialogue on the question about once you get fully vaccinated, that everything is good to go. You can scoot across Canada and start traveling internationally. You're vaccinated,、um, but yet there's this point that people need to understand: you still need to wear your mask, you still need to wash your hands, you still need to practice social distancing. And because、uh, people said you could still be a carrier of the virus and you could still be transmitting it, what are your thoughts? Like, is that the the strong enough message out there? Yeah, I think it's understandable that people want to go back to the old freedoms that they had,、um, but we are getting reports that、um, some people are、um, getting COVID within the two weeks after their first dose. Because、uh, maybe they've changed their behavior,、um, or maybe they're going to places where they have more exposure than they had before, or they have、um, they're overconfident about their ability now to to you know to be around、um, people who might have the virus.、Um, so we're reminding people,、um, yeah, you still have to be、um, careful.、Uh, other reasons to be careful is, yeah, not only could you be a carrier. Um, but also, there are variants of concern now. There are um, there are um,、uh, mutations of the virus that are more catchy and that or and or、um, may give you more serious disease. And 
we're still checking what the current vaccine's coverage is. Luckily for us in the future, like mm. if variants of concern, like let's say the UK variant or the South African variant, uh, they're called that because that's where they were um, first discovered and identified. They could be um, more catchy or have more severe outcomes, but our technology, our vaccine technology can try and catch up to those. And so that next year, the newer version or the booster can give you better protection uh, against them. So that's a good point about the, it's not the same COVID-19 bug, if you will, that's there. It's changing, it's mutating. So there is a variant and this variant is more contagious and and quite, I won't say more harmful, but it seems to be stronger. So we have to be vigilant for sure. Vigilant, again, keep wearing your mask. Even if you are vaccinated, social distancing, wash your hands, all those still are there. Yeah, and we expect that we will get some freedoms back. Uh, eventually, like for instance, um, we could be like once you're mm-hmm. fully vaccinated, we could be able to visit more with family. Um, you know, just ex- just have more freedoms than we do now. Um, even things like uh, we're talking about um, things like you know when will mm-hmm. it be possible to do travel again between provinces or even um, internationally? Like that might be possible once more and more of us are vaccinated. But yeah, so within days of your first uh, vaccine, you shouldn't be um, out and. <laughs> Having all those, uh, all the, that old lifestyle we used to have, it's uh, it's not recommended. Now, there's also something that's changed as well across Canada, and that's the guidelines for the time between your first vaccination and your second vac- your second dose, or your second vaccination. It's changed. Um, I believe it's four months now. Like first, it was you know a shorter time frame, but they're saying it's okay now uh, to wait four months for your secondary dose. What? What does that mean? What's changed with that time change? And how, what impact does that have on First Nations as well in terms of the vaccination time frame? According to some of the clinical trials on the vaccines, uh, people were going to wait three or four weeks for the second dose. Um, but the, we had some supply chain um, issues at the beginning. So we talked about, you know, what would happen if we went from instead of um, having the second dose on day 21 or day 28? What if we went to day 30 or day 35? You know, would that have any kind of um, effect on on people? Uh, and we did some modeling and we saw that actually um, vaccinating more people faster with one dose um, was more helpful with the spread of the disease than um, a, a few people having two vaccines or being, you know, nearly um, uh, uh, nearly perfect in their immunity. So if that makes sense. So after your first dose, like uh, with Pfizer, um, the efficacy is about 80%. And uh, after the second dose, it's about 94%. So it's better for more, more of us to have 80% than a few of us to have 94%. Uh, so the decision was made we could extend we could extend that interval. But now we're talking about, oh, so we can go as long as four months, but do we have to wait exactly four months? Like maybe some of us, like let's say I'm a, a little old lady, 95 years old, and if I could get 94% immunity in three weeks instead of in four months, maybe, you know, maybe that's better for me. So we're talking about maybe some higher risk groups could go less than four months for that second dose. But we're still talking about it because it does take a while for us to kind of develop those policies for really millions of people. We just want to make sure that 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 that's um, possible uh, to do. Like uh, 
is there enough vaccine for us to vaccinate some of us in a shorter interval? And uh, it, it does seem to be that for some of us, most at risk, that we could shorten that four-month interval. You, you talked about the one dose, and there's another um, vaccine. We, we know there's Pfizer, we know it's Moderna, and then AstraZeneca. But there's a new one as well, the Johnson & Johnson one, which is the one that only requires one shot in order to be fully. Where are we at with getting Johnson & Johnson into Canada, and will that be rolled out soon to First Nations across Canada? That's a good question. I don't have the latest on it on when it will arrive because it hasn't arrived. It's not available to Canadians. So we've approved it, but it hasn't arrived here yet. And so we're, we're waiting to pin down a date, um, but it's not um, anytime soon. Like it's not in the next few weeks for sure. So um, I'll have to get back to you as we get closer to an arrival date. And the good thing about that one, like you said, it's just a single dose. And also it can travel um, very easily. So it's uh, we, were, we were thinking it's going to be a good um, option for younger people who are waiting in line for a dose that might happen uh, far away. It might be a good one for like uh, young workers who have, you know, pretty high exposures and would want to have some kind of protection um, pretty quick. So yeah, those that's the current thinking. We're so lucky to have four different um, options. And like you were saying, the best vaccine is the one that's quickest, the one that's closest to you and available to you. The one that's accessible, yeah? Yes. There, there's also some concerns, doctor, about um, people are worried about, wow, what are the side effects of this vaccine? You know, yeah. uh, even after the first dose, I didn't feel anything, but there's, there's fears and concerns about after the second dose, um, what are what have you been hearing about some of the dialogue and discussions around that? What are the side effects? Are, are they greater with the second dose after you get it? I found it really interesting because uh, just recently I, I ran into a worker, a worker in a grocery store, and he was saying, oh, I just got my um, first dose of vaccine and it made me feel sick. It, my body didn't like it. It's, that's how he put it to me. And I said, Oh, like, what, what do you mean? And he said, you know, I felt like I had a headache. I felt tired. Like I, I didn't want to be at work. And I, I said, Oh, wait, okay. First of all, that's a, a mild reaction. It's not a severe reaction. A severe reaction would be like, um, you know, needing support for your breathing, um, feeling a headachey or like feeling like you don't want to go to work to me is not as serious a side effect. In fact, that's, you know, we would call that a mild side effect and we would call that an expected side effect that when you have a vaccine, you can feel a bit tired uh, from it because your body is um, producing antibodies. It's learning how to fight, you know, quite a severe uh, virus. So I have to remind him that feeling sick and being sick are different. So, you know, if you don't feel like your best, that's okay. That's um, very different than, you know, being sick with COVID. And uh, I, if you if you exchange the word sick for bite, it's the difference between a shark bite and a puppy bite. It's like, uh, okay, so you've had a little bit of an effect from the vaccine. That's very different than being really sick from the virus. So I don't know how we can actually um, compare them or put them in the same sentence. Yeah, so we should all we should all expect that when you get your vaccine, it's it's you're, you you may not feel um, like you can run a marathon, and that's okay. Your body's just doing its doing its thing. Um, I'm looking forward. I I've had um, the first dose with my um, with my community. My community here in BC had an all of community approach, so everyone was vaccinated at the same time. All the adults. 
so I've had my first dose, and uh, yeah, I got pretty, um, I got pretty droopy, but not so droopy that I couldn't go to work. Um, I just felt like uh, I had a bit of a sore shoulder, and I, I, I went to bed early, and uh, that was, you know, that wasn't uh, that that much of a cost to um, to have some pretty good immunity against the virus. But I hear the second one will be a bit stronger and. Yeah, I'm not concerned. I'll be smiling through it while I'm while I'm in my um, bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm glad uh, that your First Nation is looking at a total First Nation citizen approach. Yeah. You know, not only in the community but off communities, because uh, we know we have fifty um, percent um, of our people reside on uh, our First Nations on our communities, and fifty percent live off. So I'm a good example. Like I, I don't live a little black, but my my relatives, my older brothers, all got vaccinated at Little Black Bear. But I live in Ottawa, so because of the urban First Nation strategy as well, the accessibility was here, and so I took advantage of that. And uh, it's it's really appreciative. So yeah. you got to have a the two pronged approach on the community, but off as well. Um, and uh, because half of our populations do reside away from our, our nations and, and communities. Yeah, and some of the communities were um, vaccinating slightly differently than others. Like one community might decide to um, vaccinate um, residents, like um, not members, not their community members, but um, like say someone married in, they're not a member mm-hmm. of that of you know of that first nation but they live in but they're living there in the territory yeah yeah Yeah. and some were um including essential workers or staff who were in that community Mm -hmm. just working and some weren't and some were vaccinating off reserve or you know people who lived a particular distance like if you live within 20 kilometers you could come in if you live 2,000 kilometers away they would tell you Please don't travel to our community for a vaccine. There's too much, uh, too much risk. So, the, so the, um, the communities varied um, one to the other, and of course, the provinces varied as well. Like some, some mm-hmm. vaccinated everyone at once, and others vaccinated like older people first, you know, and then middle-aged people, and then younger. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the numbers across Canada for First Nations in terms of the statistics. You know, I'm looking at a, a, a document here right now. And uh, it seems like new cases since the last report. It seems like um, 44 cases in Manitoba. So that, that seems to be going up. I'm looking, that's a high number. Everywhere, everywhere else in BC, there's seven new cases since last time, eight in Alberta, nine in Manitoba. But 44 jumps out at you in Manitoba. Uh, and uh, 12 in Ontario and Quebec, New Brunswick, New Wisconsin seem to be all pretty good. But 44 in Manitoba... That, that seems high. What are your thoughts on that, those numbers? Yeah, it really varies from place to place what the COVID numbers are. Um, but I think it's really important to, um, to know that the numbers of COVID cases in First Nations communities has been going down and down and down every week since January. It's really um, surprising and it makes me a bit nervous because I keep waiting for the next wave because we hear that you know there could be a real jump in cases, uh, they're calling it the third wave. We've already had a third wave, as in we had a wave last April, uh, a year ago, and we had a wave at the beginning of December, and we had another peak at the beginning of January. But since the beginning of January, down and down and down and down, generally, like, you know, averages for the whole community. Every week I see the numbers, like, amazing. Wow, we're, we're doing a really good job, I guess, 
of protecting our families um, and communities. But that doesn't mean that there aren't hot spots. And definitely uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta have had a few hot spots where you know we, we have to step in and um, try and quiet down uh, that cluster or that outbreak. So, well, that's good news. The numbers in First Nations are going down and down and down. Uh, but again, there are some hot spots we've got to be mindful of, and that's where all levels of government, federal, provincial, and First Nations are working and prioritizing. So, okay, let's make sure that that's taken care of immediately. And uh, so that seems to be what's happening. And uh, I'm glad you talked about the third wave. It's all, we've already had it. People talk about the first wave, second wave. We're in the third wave. Watch out for the third wave. And you're saying, we've already had the yeah. third wave. So we are, we, third. are we going to talk about a fourth wave? Yeah. Technically for us, even though for other Canadians, they're calling it the third wave. Yeah, we're just slightly different, right, than um, than other Canadians. So, for instance, um, we've been getting COVID as Indigenous people at a much younger age than um, other Canadians. And in fact, we're much less likely to go into hospital. Um, you know, we maybe are having milder disease because uh, other Canadians who are getting COVID, you know, they're older, maybe a little more... Um, uh, fragile and uh, they're not doing as well but again like maybe this is going to change because there are these new variants of concern um, maybe this week the numbers are going to pop back up because we just had spring break we have Easter coming up um, the sun is shining I, I don't know is that making people um, be more risky or or will people be less risky my hope is that people will go outside in the fresh air and uh, they'll continue what they've been doing, which is to reduce their visiting and um, and being safe, because clearly we're being safer if our numbers are dropping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a really good trend. You know, our numbers are going down and down, so that's a positive thing. We got to keep it going that way. So, for our listeners, where can First Nations people go for the most up to date information on vaccines and on COVID nineteen? Well, I like our website. Like if you just Google FNIB, F-N-I-H-B, and then uh, COVID, um, our website will pop up and it has lots of information on lots of different topics. But for some uh, for some information, it's better to go to um, your local health authority or your provincial COVID website. Some communities even have um, First Nations-specific COVID information just for their community. So there's lots of places to look, and it's really important to look at credible sources. So things are getting a little better. It's going down and down. And, and I always ask this question, you know, to all of our guests. You know, we've talked about the, the vaccines and COVID-19, first wave, second wave, third wave, maybe the fourth wave for First Nations, but things are getting better. Is there anything else that you can leave our listeners that provide hope uh, whether it's related related to this vaccine, whether it's related to COVID nineteen, or anything else you'd like to share that gives you, as Dr. Evan Adams, hope for the future. Yeah, I'm feeling a lot of hope uh, lately. In part because we we completely expect and we will see um, changes to um, how many of us have COVID because of vaccination, and a lot of us have been uh, vaccinated uh, for sure. Uh, so we're going to see those numbers change. Also, it's um, springtime and then summer and more of us will go outside we won't be confined into small spaces because there's more illness in the winter there just is because we're closer together we're stuck close together and so now we can go outside and i think people are 
um, tend to be happier in the spring and summer. The light is better. They can move around a little bit more within their territories. There's lots to do right now because, you know, our gardens and uh, food collection and uh, all of that stuff that can go on. And uh, I, I think um, we're learning after a year of this that it's very important to protect others. That it's not necessarily just about me, like what I think and feel. It's, oh, I have to do a lot of stuff to protect my family and my knowledge keeper. So maybe the vaccine is the best option uh, for you to protect um, the whole of your family, especially those, of course, most vulnerable. So yeah, there's lots to look forward to. There's going to be, I think, better and better news as the weeks go by. No, I think that's a, a great message. And to all our listeners, the vaccines are very important. Once and if they are available to you, take advantage of the vaccine as soon as possible. And as well, even once you do get vaccinated with first dose or the second dose, continue to social distance, continue to wear your masks, continue to wash your hands, and um, continue to be safe, healthy, and happy. Um, we have to do the best we can. We're just... we're. We're all, as Canada, just about through this, um, but we still have to be vigilant going forward. But I think your words are very hopeful. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I hope, because I have to remind myself of this every day because I'm tired and I need a nap, uh, is to be is to be kind. You know, we're, we're trying to look after each other. And it's it's sometimes it's hard. Like, I think our fatigue is showing sometimes. So, um, yeah, so I'm always reminding myself and others, like, let's be nice to each other. I know we're tired. I know this is really weird. Like, uh, just the other day, I, I was passing by my mother's house and I couldn't stop and visit. I'm not allowed to visit my mother. I thought, oh, I, 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 this is a weird life. We have to stop ourselves from so many things. Um, but I thought, okay, just be kind to yourself and be kind about, you know, these feelings I'm having about not being able to visit. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be mean to the next person you meet because you're not feeling so great. Uh, yeah, kindness. And that's our way, right? You know, so you be kind and respectful. Yeah. Dr. Evan Adams, thanks so much for again coming on our Akamemuth podcast. Thank you. And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Akamemet podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Thank you.